She's pretty, intelligent, and spiritual, and married with wonderful children. So, good morning. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor at the Gathering Place Church. It's good to see you if you're here for the first time. Uh, this mic is very loud. And uh, we love Jesus. We love one another. And we love reaching our world with the best news the planet will ever have, which is the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Salvation, which is only through him. Not works, but grace. And we're all really nice to each other because we're all broken and we're on this journey together. We're being repaired and restored on the way to meet our Savior face to face and be with him forever and get the heck out of here. Amen? That's the gospel. You just heard the gospel. All right. So, um, so, uh, um, uh, if you have something you want to say, why don't you come up here and talk to my wife real quick and then she'll, she'll, uh, Chris and, um, Rachel, come on up here real quick. Oh, you got to hold that until the green light comes on. There you go. Chris and Rachel work with our teens and preteens. Can we welcome these guys? Hey, everyone. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Say something. My wife and Rachel, uh, my wife, Rachel, and I are teaching the junior high and high school. And we have a great lesson planned for today. We're really excited about it. We have a lot planned, and we know that the teams are going to get a lot out of it. It might, uh, that being said, it might take an extra 10 minutes. I apologize, but if you have to leave out early, I understand. But the main reason we're up here is we wanted to remind everyone here that the youth are important and uh, that we have a passion to uh, just have revival break out. And um, the reason why that's important is because we need all of you, and we need all of you to participate, to, to share and to back us and support us with your prayers. We have a lot planned coming up, and, and uh, this summer we're going to have plenty of things on the calendar, so keep your eyes and ears open for those events. Um, yeah, do you have anything to say? You're just going to stand there and be cute. Oh, really? It was just Chris, but since I was invited, I might as well say thank you all for supporting the youth we're excited because this is the first time we're teaching since we've been married and we got this powerful like duo going on at first first you think okay i've got my way of teaching and he's got his way of teaching it's a little bit different but then when you put them together we found a way and so we're really excited to see it explode in this place and and we'll just see we're good awesome amen amen Amen. thanks you guys All right, so there was a uh, there was a really important announcement that uh, didn't get announced. Arian, would you come up real quick and tell us what's happening with with Syrian refugees? Here we go. Fair enough, since I opened my big mouth. All right, there you go. Okay. Well, I noticed in the bulletin that Shells is going to be helping host a Friends of Syria picnic, and I think we can all agree that it's super important that as the body of Christ we show love to the refugees that are coming into our country and specifically into our neighborhood. So if you look at the bulletin, it's going to be this Saturday, April 8th, from 10 to 4. And from 12 to 2, there'll be kebabs, y'all. I mean, you don't, you don't want to miss kebabs with Syrian. You just can't get better than that. Just don't be converted. <laughs> no, we're there, we're there to A lot of them are Christians. That's why they're refugees. But some are. However, but some are not. But let's, but let's show our love. Let's be Jesus with skin They on. give us kebabs, we give them Jesus, and it's heaven on earth. I know, right? What a combo. Amen. And it's in City Heights. And so I don't know that there's an address, but you can email shells or look up Kalina Del Sol Park, which is in All City right. Heights. That's yours. You. All right, I'll take this. You take that. All right. Thanks for going to bat for shells and the Syrian refugees. 
Amen. You know, you know what I love is a church that is alive and a church where things are happening that I'm not even aware of. It. People are getting financially counseled. People are getting marriage counseled. People are leading people to Christ. The youth are doing things, and I just hear about it and catch up to it. That's exciting that uh, the body of Christ is unleashed. So um, I want to pray for families before we release the children. Today is Family Sunday, and... Um, you know, we, in, in church life, we segregate, we segregate the children, uh, and then we segregate the children from the children, um, and then the teens and the preteens, and, the, and then you got the college and you got the adults, and so it's great to have families worship together from time to time, amen. And so the first Sunday of every month, we have Family Sunday, and so all the monkeys are in here, and we get to worship together, and then I want to bless you guys and to send you out. So. Um, Today, what I want to do is this. I was in prayer for you this morning, and this came to my heart, and I want to pray it. I want to pray for household salvation. In the New Testament, you see this more than once, where when somebody in the family gets saved, the entire family ends up getting saved. It's like one person becomes the seed. I'm the youngest of six in a Roman Catholic family. When I, I was the first one saved, and you, the baby trying to tell the rest of the family about God doesn't go over well. And my sister, who's in the back here, I'm going to tell off on her when my, I got saved, then my next oldest brother got saved. And then we went after our sister. And I remember, I don't know if you remember this, Renee, but she said to us when she finally decided that she was going to give her life to Jesus, because she had tried all these other religions and she was in some cult for a while. It was just, it was just silliness. And, uh, and, 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 and she's a professor, so she's in the halls of academia. And to be a Christian in the halls of academia, you get shamed and mocked. And so, uh, but when she was first coming to Christ, I remember we were upstairs in the bedroom across from a mom's bedroom and my brother and I were up there and we we're going to pray for her. She said, okay, I'm going to become a Christian, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to be like you guys raising my hands and speaking in tongues and stuff. And now she's the worst of the lot. My wife's right here said, yes, she is. So you better watch out if you say yes to Jesus, because you just might become a fanatic. All right, so can we all stand? And what my wife and I want to pray for you about over is household salvation. Every relative you have, every brother, every sister, mother, uh, father, son, daughter, grandchildren, we're going to pray for household salvation. Because this is, we're in a series on hope. And the hope of the gospel is the greatest hope this planet can ever have. Get the person in your mind. Get him in your heart right now. We're going to take him to the throne. Think about who you're, who it is. I've got mine right now. You got him. You got her. Get him in your heart. We're going to take him straight to the Father. God, you love these individuals that are in our hearts and our minds right now more than we do. You want them saved more than we do. They need their sins forgiven more than they realize they do. And so we, as intercessors, that means a person that goes between God and the person that has the need. As we come in between God and the person that has the need, we right now are claiming their salvation. We are claiming in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ before your throne, Almighty God, for the salvation of the souls of every person that is on our heart and our mind right now. God, we claim them. Go get them. We pray you send your spirit, Father, after them, upon them. Overwhelm them with your good. Bring them to their knees. Cut them to the heart, God. Show them their need, their deep need for a Savior, for forgiveness, for the release of guilt and shame, God, and lostness. We pray, Jesus, you reveal yourself to them. Draw them to yourself. Bring them to the Father. 
and save their souls, we pray. We claim on this Sunday morning, our family Sunday, we claim household salvation, and we de- declare it begins this week in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I want to tell you something. My wife's going to share something real quick. We promised Paula, our guest speaker, you're going to have some air time. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, I was praying for my father, and this was my prayer for my dad. God, I'm praying for my dad, and you know I don't have any faith at all that he's ever going to get saved. I had no faith, but I'm praying because it's the right thing to do. And when my dad got saved, and we were standing in church with our hands raised, and I looked over at him, I thought, oh my God, you are God. Amen? Amen. Honey? Um, Just a a quick testimony along these lines. And I shared this with some of the gals at the ladies' retreat. I was at a funeral a week ago Friday with a a, a dear friend that uh, passed away from cancer, 50 years old. Love God. Um, They had moved to Idaho, but um, they had lived in San Diego for a long time. They were on the worship team of the church that John and I were at in East County years ago. So they had a San Diego memorial, and the pastor shared... um, they had written down Dave's last words uh, right before he, he passed away. Uh, first of all, something that happened, and it's amazing to me how often you hear this. As he was passing over, he saw all of his relatives and also his wife's relatives that had gone before him. And I'm amazed because I, I know that the human brain is very, very sophisticated, but I don't know that it's sophisticated enough to, in our very last moment, to segregate in our life everyone who's alive and everyone who's dead and only show you the ones that have passed away. But So it was only ones who had passed away that were waiting there. And to his wife's great comfort, she had shared and shared and shared and shared with her parents, and she just wasn't sure because they were... Um, They were Roman Catholic and very, very uh, entrenched in their belief system. But she had shared about, you know, it isn't about works. It's about, you know, accepting Jesus. And he saw them uh, right before he passed away. And so that was great comfort to her in that. And how it ties into what he's saying is sometimes you may not see it. It's just your job to share and share and share the love of Christ. And you and you really don't know. Even if you don't physically pray the prayer with them, you don't know what the Lord might or might not do. So the next thing after that that Dave said was, Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me is mine. And so... You know, sometimes we think, well, they haven't had time to be saved and bear fruit. Well, you know what? Jesus doesn't want to make it hard for anybody. He desires that none should perish. None. And so, you know, I think what he's saying basically is just give people an opportunity to know the truth and leave the rest up to me. Right on. And lastly, just because it kind of, the, the last thing he said, which I found really powerful right before he died was, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then he and then he died. So anyway, all that was to say, just throw it out there with your family. Remind them. And you might not ever hear them pray the prayer, but you may still the work. The Lord will do the work. Amen. And all that is to say in your bulletins are five invitation cards to our Easter service, and if you didn't get a bulletin, and if you did not get five Easter invitation cards on your way in, will you raise your hand, and our dashing ushers are going to dash to your seat. Raise your hand if you did not get these little business cards with Jesus on the front, don't reject Jesus, and on the back, 
is the information to our, keep your hands raised. Everybody's getting five. You're just going to pass them out like seed and see which one bears fruit. Okay, everybody. Get three people on your heart and on your mind. Andy over here needs one. Get three people on your heart and on your mind. You Don't say no. Listen, don't say no for somebody. If they're going to say no, they'll say no. But don't say no for them. Like, oh, they would never go to church. How do you know? People thought that about me. They're still freaking out 35 years later that I'm a Christian and a pastor. Still today on Facebook, like, still can't believe it. Okay? Don't say no for somebody. Give them an invitation. Invite them to church. Give Jesus a chance. Amen? All right, Lord, we pray for our Easter service in a couple of weeks. We pray that every one of us will pass these cards out, fast and pray for three people, and everybody invites somebody to church in Jesus' name. All right, children, you're out. Teenagers, you're out. Okay? And Paula, you got about a minute and a half. So you better preach. You can do it. This is yours. This is yours. Paula, we're in a new season in our church. I don't know if Janice shared it with you or Shelly shared it with you or anybody shared it with you, but uh, um, I want to say this to you really quick. Uh, a, a number of months ago, I was praying, and, and Jesus impressed on me that um, I just closed the book and just opened a brand new book, and I was writing on the first page. So the next day, an intercessor called me and said, uh, Pastor John, I was praying for you last night. I had a vision that you just opened up a brand new book, and you're writing on the first page. Oh, she told you. Why did you tell me she told me? I wouldn't have said it all over again. Okay. Oh, now you remember it? Well, the way I shared it was probably more impactful. I don't know. Well, she didn't remember it. So. Thank you. Um, so the reason I share that with you, Paula, is because there are people who come to our church that are, that are speakers. Then there are people who come to our church and God calls you a friend. And you're a friend of this house. I've told you that before, but I want to say it again in our new season. Because uh, God has connected you and us, and you, God always gives you specific things that bring us life. And the Apostle Paul said this, I pray that I can come to you so that I can deposit some spiritual gift so that you may be established. I also want to say, and some of you may take issue with this, I don't know, but we don't. We've researched it, and we've come to a place where we believe uh, in women preachers. Um, you know, we, we can, we, some people that don't, you know, the woman preaches, but they call it sharing. We call it preaching and teaching. The first evangelist in the New Testament was the woman at the well. And a whole town came to Jesus. When's the last time you brothers led a whole town to Jesus? So we honor the moms and the dads. A house without moms and dads is not a balanced home. You've got to have the moms at the table. Because they bring part of God that the men don't. So... Can we welcome Paula Fredrickson? To... Come on, bring it. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Okay, let me just get situated. On? I turned. Yep, there we go. I'm on. Get situated here for a minute. Hey. Start with prayer. Lord, we um, thank you for what you've already done and accomplished today. Love you so much. I thank you for just guiding my words, Lord, leading me along the way. Uh, we thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts this morning through the word, Lord. Thank you for ministering 
us all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to start by um, during worship. Prove. <laughs> that may have been me. Yeah, you're gro- actually, maybe that works. That might be prophetic. That might be. <laughs> and you know, that could have been me. That could have been my mistake that I sent to them. So let's blame me. Um, yeah, that's funny because I was, during worship, I was praying and just asking the Lord. You know, I, obviously I have a message, but I was also asking the Lord what he was speaking here prophetically. And uh, there was two things. One is, I know that um, Rachel and Chris are not in here because they're kids, but as they were standing up here sharing, I um, just felt like the Lord said that he was going to do a fiery, low work in them. And so you know how when you spill gasoline on the ground and it ignites and it goes, it just goes like that? Yeah, I felt like the Lord was going to do a work through those two um, over the years to come starting now, where it would go out like a low fire. And I feel like the low fire speaks of their humility and their realness. And so it was it was going to get under some things that um, never would have been allowed to get under had it not come through them. Because you could think, well, somebody else could do the work. Yeah, but no one else could do the work like them. And so if you spill gasoline and it ignites, it can go under a door. I mean, it can fit under anything. It follows the gasoline. And so as I saw as it go out and do this low, fiery work, there'd be places where you would see it ignite over there and ignite over there and ignite over there in the San Diego area and the regions beyond San Diego. I feel like there's a day down the road where um, you'll be able to trace the fires from Rachel and Chris many, many miles, many, many cities from now that you'll look and you'll say, you know, that fire um, is a direct result of what they did. Some of it will be through the people they minister, the kids they raise up who will start fires and, you know, in Ecuador, start fires in New Jersey, start fires in the Ukraine. But then a lot of it will be directly related to them where they'll, I really feel that a time in the future that they'll be known and that their work with the youth will be powerful. And the main reason I feel like the Lord wants us to know that one of the main reasons that God can do such a work through them is their humility. And so as others go and look and say, what did those two do right? They'll always be able to go back to they came in low. They come in low. They're filled. They're pure. They're on fire for God. I mean, there's a lot they're doing correct, but they come in low. And in that works. It's irresistible because Jesus is irresistible. So that was, yeah. So that was the first thing, and then control the, the lighting in this. <laughs> okay. We've got to include these people. Okay, so now the shadows aren't making me look old. Is that right? <laughs> Just agree. <laughs> yeah, you look so much younger. Got my grove groove back. Okay, then the second thing was, um, I feel that the Lord is speaking prophetically to this body. Um, this is Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up, if we do not give up, if we do not give up, if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Felt so strongly that the Lord says, that is you. You are doing that. Don't give up. So, you know, it's, it's easy to say, to look at God's promises and think, well, when? You know, when God, when? God spoke, when God, when? But I feel like he says, do not grow weary in well-doing, because what, what you guys could lack in one area, and I don't know where there's lack, but there is in every body of Christ, I feel like the Lord says you have tenacity in spades. And this is a group that will not give up, that will just keep persevering and going. And so, today I'm going to talk about hope. I've been listening to some of your messages that you guys have already preached. I listened to yours and your, both of yours last ones. Yeah, it was cool just to hear and try and get in the flow of where God has been leading. And um, so, hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. That's what hope is. So, hope changes everything. And hope lifts up your heart to expectancy, right? So you can be in the depths. We were talking all weekend with the women about worship, 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 and what it means to worship God. And isn't it crazy that you could be in the depths and then you can go and worship and hope comes. And as an example, last night I got a phone call. It took me down into the depths. (laughs) Okay. I mean, can everyone relate to that? You get a phone call. It's just like, I'm having a happy weekend. It's all Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We're having the best time. We're worshiping. I get a phone call. And it's just that same feeling of like, oh, this is sucking the life out of me. I can see it swirling down the, the tube, you know, and I was like, oh, God, no, no, no. But then I was like, what did I just teach all weekend? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I taught about worship. And so I just turned off all the lights in my room, and I turned on the worship, and I just spent like a half an hour just worshiping and dancing and on my knees and worshiping God and just going into the throne room of his presence. And I have to tell you, about halfway through that, I was like, what phone call? Who cares? Honestly. And then by the end of the worship time, I was filled with hope. I was back. I was like, this is going to be okay. This is all going to be okay. I can do this. I can run this race. It's great. It's good. God is on the move. All of a sudden, my expectation was back, and I knew God was coming through for me. It's just, he's so good. Hope does that. So I want to talk for just a few minutes about the Semarine Railway. Has anybody here heard of the Semarine Railway? It's between Austria and Italy, and there's a section of the Alps called the Semarine. It's impossibly steep very tall mountain. So that is the Semarine Railway. Carl von Gega began designing and building a track in 1842, 12 years before a train was designed that could, that could go up those steep grades. So there had not been a train designed. There was really no indication there would be a train designed that could go up those incredibly steep grades through the Alps. But before that train was designed, and before they were sure it could be designed, he began designing the tracks. Eh, That'll preach, right? So what are the tracks? What are the tracks you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be laying down right now? What are the tracks that GPC is supposed to be laying down right now? Um, So it took 12 years to build it, design and build it. It took 
14 tunnels is what they, they made. They blasted through the mountains to make 14 tunnels. Uh, 16 viaducts, which are those big stone bridges with the big circle. Back. Yeah, there, there it is. 100 curved stone bridges and 20,000 workers. They invested all that blasting, building, digging before the train was designed that went over it. That's faith. That's hope, right? That's like we're going all in. I mean, which is just what God has been speaking to me so much lately. Go all in. Just go all in. If I've spoken to you, go all in. Okay. So they could see down the road or the track what was coming. They could see. They could perceive. How many of you know, like, there's people who have business minds. They have minds for business or minds for strategic church planning or whatever. Minds for family planning where they can see sort of prophetically with imagination because they have hopeful, faith-filled hearts. They can see what's coming. And other people are like, what, what are you doing? What are you even doing? Why are you doing that? And you're like, because, because the train's being built, and then the train's coming. If they had not built the train, they never could have taken advantage of all that was offered to them from it. So, I have a friend named Justin Knott. He's actually an associate um, pastor at our church. And um, he's maybe 35, 37 now. But I've known him his whole life, because his mom and I are good friends. And so, Justin... Barely graduated high school. In fact, he got kicked out of high school, and how he graduated was by going to the continuation school. He was in and out of county jail for stealing and drunkenness. And he, he hung out with the wrong people, with a bad crowd, till he became the bad crowd that other parents warned their kids about. Yeah, okay, so then he finally has an encounter with God. He comes to know the Lord, and then he goes off to Bible college. So he does pretty good with that. I don't think he even realized he was smart until he got into Bible college. Here he had struggled through school, barely graduated, went off to Bible college, and did very well. Then he went to Mongolia as a missionary. And then finally he comes back to Bishop at 25 and he's not sure what he's going to do. And he goes to work for the ambulance company. And as he's working there, he begins to have a love of medical care. And so he begins a long journey. He starts to take a few classes at the community college, ends up loving it, and the journey just continues of him, like, laying the tracks, laying the tracks, laying the tracks, slowly but surely, no money, not the, not the most intelligent guy ever, but you know what the joke was? He actually was. He was, in fact, he's really smart. He just didn't know it. And so he keeps laying the track, laying the track, laying the track. At this point, he's an RN. He's continuing his education um, to become a physician's assistant. He started working at Bishop Hospital in the um, ER, and they put him in charge of it because he has God's favor on him because he laid the track way back there because he just, like, dared to hope and believe and lay it down. And I was thinking, I would rather have um, a whole bunch of oh wells than what ifs. You know, oh, well is like, like I have a book proposal that I have literally been pitching for seven years. <laughs> Nobody wants it. I've tried literary agents. I've tried publishers. Now I'm on this teeny tiny publisher in Reno. No, she doesn't want it either. Nobody wants it. But I, but I believe in it. You know, and so I would rather have oh, wells. That's an oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> Nobody wants it. Probably not a good idea. I thought it was, but maybe it's not. Then what ifs? Why don't I write it? Why don't I write the book proposal? Why don't I try to get it out there? 
And, you know, I, I'm the kind of person I'd rather go down in a flaming ball of failure and explode and crash and burn than not try. And so what does that look like? Well, that looks like I've had amazing successes that are so much better than I am. And God has put me in places I don't deserve to be. But I've also had some huge public failures where I thought I could do something and I couldn't. And so I just fell down doing it. I just got up all skinned and bloody and, and couldn't do it. But I just go on to the next thing. The nice thing about trying something and failing, there is a nice thing about it, I swear. The nice thing about it is you begin to lose your reputation when you try and fail. And once you've lost your reputation, then you have nothing to lose. And then you're dangerous, right? Once you've already looked stupid in front of everyone, then you're, then you're dangerous to the enemy's camp. Because you'll basically do anything because you've already lost your reputation. So, so what? So what? So, just think about, okay, if I fail, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt my pride. It's going to be embarrassing. But you'll be better for it. So, just keep going. <laughs> I believe the greatest courage is displayed not by those who begin, but by those who begin again and begin again and try again and try again. And Gathering Place Church, God is going to use you guys in your community, in your city, in your state, and in your country because you will not give up on what he's spoken to you. You won't. And so God absolutely will use you. And so with all of us, when we go through the seasons where we have to begin again, in a new book, that's so funny because God spoke such a similar thing to me when I turned 55, which is in February. And, um, and I saw he was like, this isn't a new chapter. This is a new book. Yeah, and so every time we begin again, it glorifies him. Every time we begin again, I want you to know what's at the root of that is hope. I begin again, even though the things I've gone through have scraped me or they've been hard. Or I've, I mean, like GPC, I could look back and say, oh, I've had great successes and I've had failures and good and highs and lows. That's just life. But beginning again takes hope. It says, oh, instead of being like, okay, 55, maybe I'll get a granny chair. Maybe I'll call it good. Maybe I'll just start begging my kids to have grandkids or whatever, you know. Instead, I'm like, no, I want to hardly notice that they don't, that I don't have grandkids. I want to hardly even notice it. You know why? Because I want to be running so hard after God. I want to be doing everything he called me to do. I want to begin again. And so at, at 75, I'll probably be beginning again. And at 85, I might even be beginning again. Because I'm going to keep doing that until I go to be with him. Okay. So what tracks do you need to lay down? So hope will blast tunnels, build viaducts, and lay tracks long before the train comes. Hope will put in the work for what it anticipates. Hope will dare to dream about what the future could be. So I was thinking about, okay, well then what kind of tracks? What would that like look like practically? And I was thinking about how if you have some kind of disability or your health has taken a hit and you can't exercise, then hope would go buy exercise clothes and hang them up. You know, and put them in your bedroom somewhere and just be like, I'm going to be out walking soon or I'm going to be out running soon. You know, sometimes we get so passive. We're like, well, I prayed for healing. Still not healed. I've been praying. I've been waiting. Begin again. Get back up again. It's not over yet. Are you healed? Then it's not over yet. Then you haven't won that war yet. And so maybe it's the exercise clothes or the, or the running shoes that you tie together and you hang up in your bedroom or in your closet. 
And every time you walk by those tennis shoes, you prophesy over them. Tennis shoes, you're going to be out running soon. Tennis shoes, I'm going to take you on trails soon. Tennis shoes, you're going to make me healthy again soon. Get back in the fight. If you've found yourself falling back and just sitting on your haunches and wanting to buy a granny chair, get back in the fight. You don't want a granny chair. Mm, It's not time for a granny chair. Hope might purchase baby items before pregnancy. Like, oh, but what if I'm disappointed? You will live. It is better to go out in faith and be disappointed than to not go out in faith at all. And so when God promised me, um, he promised me my second child about five minutes after I had my first child. So (laughs) there's a story. So (laughs) my husband, I had agreed with my husband, who's 21 years older than me. I had agreed that we would only have one child. He had already had children. His daughters are about my age. So he, you know, he was done. So when I met him, I was like, oh, baby, I don't need children. I just need you. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't true, though. And so a couple years into it, I was like, yeah, I need a child or, or we're not going to get married. And so we, he decided before we got married, he was like, I will have one child. So great. We got married. Two years later, I had that baby. And I was so set with just to honor his decision because he was older. He had already done it. They laid the baby in my arms, and right then I was like, oh, I'm going to have to do this again. Like, (laughs) this isn't, uh uh-uh, this is not going to cut it. And I started to ask the Lord if he had that for me, and he confirmed to me in a way that was so unequivocal that I could never doubt. He confirmed to me, I have another child for you. And so I had to wait seven years. The Lord would not let me ask my husband, bother him, hint, nothing. I literally kept my mouth shut till God said, open your mouth. And so I did, and um, my husband said, okay. So at that point, though, I had no guarantee that I was going to like, okay, well, I want a baby, get pregnant. I didn't know. And so what was so cool is before I got pregnant, before anything, I got maternity clothes. Because I was like, I am getting pregnant, and I am having a baby, and it's going to be a girl so she can be my friend. That's what's happening. (laughs) That is what's happening. And so, um, (laughs) and so... Like, you know, I got the maternity clothes, I got pregnant, bada-bing, bada-boom, had a baby girl who is my best friend. She's 23. Yeah, and so sometimes it's getting the, and I, I know some people have fertility issues, and I get it. It's heartbreaking, but it was heartbreaking to go seven years and, and have a husband who was dead set against having another child. Like, we all have struggles. They're just different. All I can tell you is... The few times that I let go of hope that God would bring me that baby, I went into despair. The only place that I could have hope, and, and this is so important, you guys, to stay in hope, you have to go all in. You can't like have all these contingencies. Well, if God doesn't come through this, this, and this. I knew God had spoken. And for some of you, you know God has spoken about an issue. If you know God has spoken, go all in. You could be like, well, what if I was wrong? What if I didn't hear him? Okay. Is he a good father? Does he tell you when you do things that are wrong? Yeah, me too. Okay, so would he not tell you if you got it wrong? Wouldn't he at some point just come into the picture and say, sweetie, no, you're not having another baby. Leave your husband alone. That's not going to happen. Yes, he loves us. And he knows our hearts are to do what's right. So, of course, he would tell us. So you can rest assured, he wants you to go all in. And he'll let you know if you've made a mistake. Otherwise, go all in on faith. 
Um, Hope will dream of an exciting future while sitting in a dirty third world addiction center. I know this because I was in there with them. So I had the opportunity to go to um, go to Cape Town, South Africa. And, you know, I preached at some different churches, and it was so fun. And, you know, it's, it's, of course, Cape Town's very westernized. Very, It looks like California, truly. It's just very westernized. So I went to churches like this, and everyone's dressed like us, and they worship like us, and they have lovely accents, but they're basically like us. And uh, But then I had the opportunity to go to the um, addiction center, which is right off the shanty town. And there I am in this addiction center, and it's like, it's like an old brick building that smells, and these guys are just kind of in rags, and it's about 20 guys, and we're just sitting there, and I am sharing with them, and it's so funny, because I'm, you know, here I am, like little housewife from Bishop, California, sharing my addiction story with them, and they could all relate, and we laughed, and we, we cried, and we prayed together, and the cool thing was, is I had said to them, you know, you guys, I'm just, I'm just a housewife from the other side of the world, like, I, cause they think you're something special if you go over to Africa for whatever reason, and I told them, I'm not, I'm not anything special, I'm just like a little housewife, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm just a person, and I said, and God brought me to the other side of the world to encourage you with my addiction story. I said, where might he send you? And the cool thing was, I have to tell you, like, these guys were on board. Their, their faces lit up. They talked to me after. A couple of them were like, yeah, God told me they were, he was going to send me places. There they are in a, in a, in a shanty town in rags, overcoming addiction. And they had hope. They had more hope than some of the rich people in the nice churches who were well dressed. I'm, I'm telling you, if you have hope, you are wealthy. You are dressed in robes of righteousness that sparkle. And these guys had hope. They believed anything. I said, well, if you come to California, you look me up. And I tell you, we'll not be surprised if one of them makes it out here. Because God will move with people with hope. He, he'll move with people who have faith. He'll do anything. He'll, he'll move mountains for you if you have faith. He's just that good. Okay, so building tracks. What kind of tracks do you need to build? I have a few to talk about. Track of serving. So serving is like laying down a track. It's, it's showing God, oh, I'm serious. I'm serious. Like if you're called to ministry, I want to tell you one of the best things you can do is serve. And my pastor, Mike Erringer, tells a funny story. He went to Bible college and he, uh, a big name prophet came through their Bible college and stood him up in front of the whole conference and gave him the most incredible word ever about all the great things God was going to do with Pastor Mike in his life. So at this point, he's, you know, 25, he's going to Bible college, and he, this word was the best word he's ever heard, not only the best word he's ever gotten, he's the best one he's ever heard. He was on cloud nine, and he said the next day, he was just walking around, just like walking on air. You know, that's what it feels like when you get a good word from God, and he knew it was right. It confirmed everything God had already told him. And he said that he was stopped by a supervisor, and he said, hey, buddy, it's, it's your week to clean the bathrooms. And he said everything in him just recoiled at the thought, like, did you hear the word I just got yesterday? 
Greatness is in your presence, you know? And he just says, like, it was such a rude awakening. He had just gotten this prophetic word. He was going to travel the world. And he has been, by the way. He was going to preach and teach among great groups. And he has, by the way. But at that point, it was his turn to clean the bathrooms at Bible college. And he just talks about how the Lord spoke to him in that. That, that is your lot in life, my son. You know, you will be cleaning. We'll be cleaning the bathrooms, and you will be serving, and you will be serving in all different capacities. And I also have a great call. Service is the call. You know, it just takes different forms. So now he's, he's running church on the mountain, and he's, I mean, he still probably has to go clean bathrooms every now and then. He's like jack of all trades, because it's a small country church, right? And he has all these balls in the air, but he's still anointed. He's still one of the most anointed people I've ever heard preach. So that's, what's, that's what it looks like. That's what the ministry glamorous <laughs> and then the track of friendship okay so this is important so God wants you to build tracks of friendship he wants you to be friends with people he wants you to connect with people he wants you to serve people he wants you to invest in people right but the other side of that is people are not connections and alliances on your way to greatness that's not what people are. <laughs> so we invest in people, but we don't use people. And haven't you had people try and use you? I mean, I have, you know, like sidle up and be my buddy. But really what they want is they think maybe I'll provide an opportunity or whatever, you know, something from me. But and yet, by the same token, let me say this. that In the context of ministry, and I know it's the same with business, that Many, many, if not most of my opportunities have come through friendships. But it's not because people are alliances and connections. It's because I actually care about them. Have I ever been tempted to make people alliances and connections? Yes. Have I ever been tempted where I've seen someone, I'm like, I should be their friend because, and then I'm like, oh, God, that got on me. I'm sorry. I don't want to do that. I just want to be their friend because I want to be their friend. I want to invest in people, and I want it to be a two-way street. I invest in people. They invest in me. Okay, and then tracks of courage. Maybe you need to lay down tracks of courage. What does that look like? Okay, well, if you're musical, maybe you sign up for an open mic night. Right? Have you ever done that? Open mic night. Sign up. Go use your gift and talent there. Maybe um, like this retreat that I went and taught at about three weeks ago, one of the ladies there was sharing because had bugged the retreat committee relentlessly. I have a testimony. I have a testimony. I have a testimony. And they were like, eh, I have a testimony. I have a testimony. They were like, ah, oh, she'll get the mic. She won't give it back. And she just, <laughs> we all have that. We all, know, we all know those people. Yeah, and so they were like, just, they were, she was just bugging them. But I have a testimony. So she was a local lady. It was a retreat that I did for the Presbyterian Church in Bishop. And so they said to me, will you meet with her? And so I ended up meeting with her. Oh, she had a dynamic testimony of being healed of depression, suicidal depression, horrendous. And she had a supernatural testimony of God delivering her. And it was just, and she shared it at the retreat. Let me tell you, she, she's great at sharing in front of people. She should be doing that all the time. It was fantastic. And she only got the opportunity because she just put it out there. Well, what if everybody knew that she wanted to share it and no one said yes, and then she looked like a fool? That was the risk she was willing to take. And that's where it almost went. It almost went there, where it was like, oh, she'll take the mic, blah, 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 blah.
but she ended up having this tremendous impact on this group of women. So if you have something in your heart to share or something in your heart to do or some work with children or whatever it is, put it out there. All all they can do is say no, right? Or maybe you are an artist. Start calling around and see if you can have an art show. Don't just pile it up and pile it up and pile it up in your room. Put it out there. Start calling around. Can I have an art show? Can I have an art show? Will you showcase my art? Call coffee shops. Call, I don't know, Google it. Find out what other people are doing. Courage means I'm going to take my gift, that thing I was uniquely made to do, the reason I exist, and I am going to throw it out there. And if it gets pounced on, if it gets made fun of, so be it. I might take it back home, get better at it, and I might throw it out there again, right? And that you just keep trying. Okay. Another track you might want to lay down is listening. So... Um, I spoke to a MOPS group a while ago, and the whole thing we talked about, we actually, it was like a group discussion, was on listening. And I was thinking, my gosh, there's so much I've done wrong as a parent. I'm not like the best parent ever. I'm okay parent. I, you know, some days I do great, other days, eh. My first kid, I didn't do as well. My second kid, I did better. Does anybody else have that testimony? I was better later. At 32, I was more patient and better than I was at 24. And so by the second kid, I had calmed down, stopped expecting perfection. So, I mean, it, it's all fine. But listening was one of the things I did better with my second kid. And so with listening, whether it's friendships or whether it's in work environment, listening is laying down tracks. It's like paving a way for relationship. And it seems like, well, yeah. No-brainer, yeah, listening, but we don't always do it, right? And if you have the gift of gab, you don't do it a lot, right? You have to be intentional about it. And so a few ways to lay down the tracks of listening is to face the person and make eye contact. And um, we all know what this feels like when people don't do that, right? So eye contact, I'm going to talk to Mark and I'm going to tell you something. You're going to look at me. And you're not going to stare me down, but we are going to make eye contact, right? And But we all know the person that you go to talk to them, and they're like, uh-huh, yeah, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, guy. And, you know, but you can't, I mean, unless it's a family member, what can you do? You just stand there and be like, okay, well, I guess I'll go find someone else to talk to. So making eye contact and listening is laying down a track. And let me tell you that those of you that are parents, Listening is everything. It's everything for your kids to just not even necessarily have advice or jump in the conversation or offer a solution. But so often you will get so much by just closing your mouth and just letting them finish and listening to what's on their hearts. You will get access to their hearts in a way that those who talk and offer all the time don't. So it's super interruptive. I mean, super um, important. Second point, don't interrupt. So when someone is telling you something, and I have to say, my favorite person for this is Jan, who will (laughs) listen to the last word, watch you to make sure you're done, and then begin to engage. And I keep trying to learn that because I interrupt. I, you know, jump in the conversation. I do all the things I'm telling you not to do, but I'm learning. (laughs) I'm learning. So don't interrupt. So... For husbands and wives, how can you lay down track in your relationship? How can you lay down track so you get along? How can you lay down track so that the train can come and bring the goods? 
You want to know how to lay down the trap? Listen, husband, listen to your wives. <laughs> that should be in the Bible. So, <laughs> so men, a lot of times like to take the shortcut in the listening because they're weary of listening and they don't want to hear anymore. And so um, I had the same exact thing happen with my dad and with my husband. What happened was um, I was at a retreat, and I came home in a snowstorm. And it was up in Lake Tahoe, and it was whiteout conditions. So this is the story that I'm telling. First, Amy, and then second, my mom, a few days later. So I'm telling Amy. Jeff is sitting there listening as well. It was whiteout conditions. And I left Lake Tahoe, and I was driving, and I had to—I couldn't go Kingsbury Grade because it was whiteout conditions, and the snow was swirling, and I could hardly see ten feet in front of my car. And so I took this back way, and I had to wind down the hill slowly, 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 and I couldn't see anything. But thankfully, there was a truck in front of me. At that point, my husband says, "But you made it down, okay, right?" Well, I'm here, so yes, I made it down all right. But and Amy's like, Daddy, stop! So, so then I got to like go and do all the dramatics. But kind of the end was kind of ruined. Yeah, I made it down okay. It was seriously, it was like a five-hour drive. What would normally take two and a half because the snow was swirling. So then I go to tell my mom the same exact story. My dad, he wasn't even sitting in the room. He was simply. Passing through the room, and as I'm telling the story, and Mom, the snow was swirling. It was whiteout conditions. My dad's like, "But you got down the hill, okay, right?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. So, what means, like, what is love to me is to be listened to. What is love to me is to be asked about me, and and I know that love to you is for me to listen and ask about you, and um. And so listening, like, if, if Jan is a good listener, she's been my friend and gained my heart by listening. So she laid down tracks. And, and then I wanted to reciprocate that, and then the tracks are laid down. Now we can go back and forth. Now it's a two-way street, right? The train goes there because the tracks were laid, because somebody, her, laid down the tracks of listening. And I just thought, who is this? that would sit and ask me questions about myself and listen without interrupting and really wanted to know what I thought. It's so, friendship and marriage and parenthood is so easy in the aspect of if you would only listen, you would gain so much. And really you will gain their hearts and their trust. And then showing empathy in your face. You know, that seems like a no-brainer, but showing empathy if you're not really listening is hard to fake. Right? Have we all had someone fake it? So you're, you're sharing their heart, your heart. They're distracted. Maybe they're looking at their phone. Maybe they're look, scanning the room. I used to have a pastor that would scan the room the whole time that you'd talk to him. You'd be like, um, hello. Yeah, and just scanning the room. And so you share something sad, and empathy is hard to fake. So what does that look like? You share something sad, and then they go, oh, mm, that sucks. But you're like, you're not even listening. <laughs> That isn't even quite the right response. It's like almost right, but not right. <laughs> Showing empathy means, oh my gosh, just set a boundary of five minutes to listen to this person. And then when they share something, when your kid is sharing something, you're hooked in. And you can say, ah, oh, really? 
even kind of waiting a minute before you react shows that you're not, you know, being a big faker. Like, wait a minute, let it sink in. Gosh, that, that must have been hard. And you know what I mean? React appropriately. Last thing about um, listening, being a good listener, laying down the tracks of listening in your relationships is try not to be judgmental or shockable. Right? One of the ways I, I kept access to my kids' lives and hearts was I refused to be shocked. I mean, they could literally tell me anything, and I'd be like, huh. I mean, on the inside, I'm just like, oh, no. All is lost. I have failed as a parent. Oh, no. You know, but, but in, in reality, in front of them, I'm like, huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, and just trying not to respond right away. I think that that's good in marriage. Right? I think it's good in, in um, work relationships. Be unshockable. Be unwaverable. Give yourself a few minutes to take it in. Now, I will say there are some situations where something is shared with you where you should be shocked. Do you know what I mean? Like there are appropriate times where you should react with full shock. And um, I have not found those in parenting, but I have found them in friendship and family and in, in marriage. There are times where you go like, what the heck? That's good. That's normal. But with parenting, it, it sometimes, all the time, will shut down your kid. If you are shocked, you will shut it down to remain unshockable. Okay, so we're coming in for landing here. Where does hope come from? It comes from... Your eyes and your ears and your heart. If you are listening, God is always speaking. So um, after coming through my headache illness, which I've shared about here before, but it was a long illness and um, involved addiction and recovery and everything else, I was at a women's retreat in Reno. And can you show um, the GPC-4 picture? Um, I was um, in Reno. I went to Starbucks to get a coffee before the conference began. And I pulled over because I wanted to take a picture of the sunrise. And I have my coffee. And I'm standing there with my Starbucks coffee. The sun is coming up. And, you know, the Lord was just, just filled me with hope. Bonnie, this is a day for you. It's going to be okay. God is always speaking hope. He is always speaking to us if we will listen. But you have to use your eyes and your ears. You have to be, like, you have to be open to it. And uh, another way that God spoke hope to me was about 25 years ago, uh, I was in the movie theater with my son, and we were watching Beauty and the Beast. And I had never heard the story. I didn't know anything about the story. So for the very first time, we're watching the Disney animated Beauty and the Beast. And in that first couple of scenes, she comes up on the hill, and she's singing, I want much more than this provincial life. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell. And for once it might be grand to have someone understand. I want it, I want so much more than they've got planned. And 25 years ago, there I was watching that with my son and I'm, my God, that was me. That was me. I, God, that was everything I felt in my heart was coming out. I thought, I want so much more than anybody else thinks I'm capable of or has planned for me. And it was just such a big moment for me as I sat there and then going into the movie theater, you know, because it came out again and watching it again, I was reminded of it, you know, as that scene played out. And, and I, I thought, if you want to put on GPC-3, 
Um, the GPC3 picture? Uh, no, sorry. It's the one of me. So it's probably the last one. Yeah. So um, as I was thinking about that in the movie theater, 25 years later, watching the movie, I thought, he did it. He did exactly what he put in my heart. You know, I'm, I'm not done and you're not done. But I want you to know that my testimony is, he did it. He did it. He took me to the other side of the world to do what I love to do. God did that. And nobody from nowhere, he'll take us and he'll use Tony. He's just so good. And so there I am at the very tip of Africa, the southernmost tip of Africa. I'm standing there on that lighthouse and God is speaking hope to me. I'm speaking in the midst of going through a hard season right now. I'm going through a real hard season, about a three-year season. And the Lord has said to me, it's not over for you yet. It's not over for you yet. There's more. You want, you know, the, I want much, I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell. And that's how I still feel. And he's still coming through for me. He is so good. He is so faithful. He wants to come through for all of us. So I just want to end by uh, praying for us. Father, I just, um, as I stand here, Lord, I can feel the dreams in people's hearts. I can. I can just feel the dreams in their hearts. I can feel the desires. And some, I, I feel like there's some people here who have taken their hand and just like smashed down the desires and just smashed them down and smashed them down because it seemed like those desires were too wonderful. And Lord, I just pray um, that you would help them to have the courage to let the desire loose. And I feel like what you're saying is, If I let the desire loose, this thing will eat me alive because I cannot endure the thought that it won't come to be. So I can't let the desire loose. And I I feel like what God is saying is, the desire is for me. It's not a bad thing. It won't eat you alive. The desire will come about with tending. And so you don't have to shove it down anymore. And you don't have to worry that it's not from God. He'll show you if you get off. And so let the desire loose. I feel like he's saying, I'm bigger and better and brighter than you ever could imagine. And the things I have for you are just beyond your imagination. So dream big with God. Dream big with him. And so God, I pray that you would infuse every heart with hope. And for those that have um, become hopeless and heart sick, we pray, Lord, that you would ignite their hope again today. And I see there's somebody here, and what you have thought is all is lost, all is lost. Best, all is lost. And I, I just feel like the Lord says, hope again. Hope again. Begin to hope again, and more hope will come. Begin to hope some more, and more hope will come. All is not lost. That's a lie. And so, Father, I thank you for filling each heart here with hope and with faith. I pray over and I bless GPC. I bless them to light fires through the city. 
I bless them, Father, to do good, especially to the household of faith. Lord, I bless them to not grow weary, for their best days are ahead. I bless them with insight to see what's coming down the tracks and to build tracks all over the city. To build, to build, to build. To be able to have the prophetic insight to know what's coming. And I bless the women that attended the retreat, that every seed sown in them would be guarded by you, Lord. Bring, bring forth fruit. That's yours. There's a reason God calls himself the God of hope. He, he names himself things that fill in our voids and our gaps, like our provider, our healer, our father. So he calls himself the God of hope. And uh, my sister said to me yesterday, after 30 years of ministry, she said, I don't know how you keep doing it. And I said, Jesus. Sounds like such a simplistic answer, but seriously. I mean, he just, I, I, you know, you get, you get completely, um, you know, whatever you're doing. You just run out of steam. And then Jesus goes, you're like, stop it. (laughs) Don't do that to me again. Now I'm excited all over again. But that's what he does. He does it in your marriage. He does it in your parenting. does it wherever and however. Whatever he's called you to and called you to be. He just keeps breathing hope into your soul. So if you need that, would you stand on your feet real quick? And we're going to wrap this up. But Lord, we pray. I pray right now. That hopeless place. I know Paul already prayed, but I feel inspired to do this right now. Wherever that hopeless place is, now it's going to take courage for you right now to hope again because you could get hurt again. But you know what? Once you decide to live and not die. So, Lord, right now I pray for everyone that's courageously allowing you to breathe on them. Jesus, I'm asking you to breathe new hope by your Holy Spirit into their souls so they can begin living again. So their spouses can have a... Their, their husband or wife who's living again. And a parent, children can see their parent living again. Ministers, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles in this house. Living again and being hope dispensers wherever they go. Jesus, you are the source, the author and finisher of our faith. So Lord Jesus, I pray, breathe hope into these hearts right now. In this place, today. There's some of you here today, you've never given your life to Jesus. And I want to say, there is no hope for for salvation for you outside of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven by which people can be saved. There's no way you're going to earn your way to heaven. That's why God sent his son for you. And the innocent son of God was slaughtered on a cross for your guilt. But you have to accept it. And so I want to ask you today to yield to Jesus and receive him as your Savior right there where you are right now. I promise you as a fact that if you right now would say, Jesus, I'm receiving you into my heart right now. I need to know that I am saved and my sins are forgiven. And I'm receiving you right now. Just right where you are, pray that prayer. I'm receiving you, Jesus, right now into my heart. 
If you just prayed that prayer, you're feeling the sensation of peace. That is the peace that only Jesus can give to you. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to be standing right down here at this uh, little pony wall there in a minute in the end of the aisle. I'm going to ask if you would come down and tell me that you received Christ as your Savior this morning. I'm going to pray with you. For the rest of you, if whatever you need prayer for, maybe a continuation, maybe you're not finished with this particular impartation, the prayer teams are going to be down front here. They're going to pray for whatever you need, healings for your body. We believe Jesus is still doing miracles today. He's not going to quit till he returns. And then for everybody else, please, please, please care about the harvest. No matter what it is you and I need, those of us who have received Christ as our Savior, no matter how painful your situation is, it is temporary, and you get eternity as a gift. There's already a seat reserved for you in heaven. You don't have to earn it. You're not working for it. You're just on your way to it. But there are over 3 million people in San Diego County and one of the least church cities in America. So, between now and Easter Sunday, I'm gonna, I, I ask you to commit to the Great Commission. I'm going to say it again. Don't say no for somebody. Invite them and give them an invitation. Tell them you'll meet them here or you'll swing by and pick them up. Go to Starbucks on the way here. And I promise you I'm going to give a gospel message on Jesus, the hope of the world, on Easter Sunday. So God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday right here at the Gathering Place Church. Thanks for coming.